from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm your host, Chip Lutz, and today is an absolutely banner day. Banner! And the reason it's banner is because I get to talk and have a conversation about humor with my good friend, Mary Kay Morrison. Mary Kay is the current president of the association, and we've got a little bit of a history, she and I. We met uh, over a decade ago, and we've chaired several conferences together. She uh, always appreciates my input, and I always appreciate her. We didn't always see eye to eye, but we always put on some really awesome conferences. Aside from being chair several times and president, she has formed, well, she's written a few awesome books. One is Using Humor to Maximize Learning, and one is uh, Using Humor to Maximize Living, which hopefully we'll get to talk about today, because I'm all, I'm all about maximizing my life, aside from just maximizing my waistband, which I've been doing all winter. So with that, welcome my good friend, Mary Kay. Thanks so much, Chip. I'm delighted to be doing this with you. Love the laugh box concept and uh, all you've done to initiate that. Thank you for inviting me. Well, of course, you're my good friend and we're alumni. We're alumni. We both uh, graduated from Northern Illinois University. Go Huskies. Go Huskies. Go Huskies. (laughs) From the same program, only, you know, maybe a decade apart because Mary Kay is a little bit older than me. Seems that she's got kids my age. But, <laughs> oh, that's always funny. You would get that in there. Yeah, it's always funny to me. So for those people that don't know you, I know a lot of people do know you, but we have listeners that, you know, aren't part of ATH. You know, tell us a little, bit, uh, a little bit about yourself, where do you come from, and then we'll get into how you got your interest in humor. Okay, thanks, Chip. Yes, I um, started teaching at the kindergarten level. Loved it. It was uh, really exciting to work with five-year-olds. And I did that for several years, but then I got really frustrated in education um, with the lack of play that they were introducing in the early years. My belief is that children learn best through play. Um, in fact, we all learn best through play. So I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> and so we, um, I went back to school, got my administrative uh, certification, and also went to learn about how adults learn. All of those opportunities led me to um, my resume that looks like I'm about 100 years old, and I'm not quite that old. I've had a wide variety of jobs that have contributed to my sense of play and my interest in humor studies. Uh, We studied the brain extensively when I worked at the Regional Office of Education for Illinois and the State Board of Education and got really interested in the brain and how we learn. Uh, So combining neuroscience with humor has been a love of mine for about 30 years. And I know um, AETH has been an instrumental part of my growth in that area. So my roots are in early childhood and my belief in play is really strong. So my first conference in AATH was a turning point for me, as I know it has been for many people who are interested in humor. 
And I'm happy to join you, Chip. We've, we've had a lot of good time over, times over the years, and uh, sharing conferences has been fun, playful, and I encourage anybody listening who is interested in ATH to certainly join in the fun and play uh, and the learning that occurs, which is, of course, uh, super fun and super um, exciting. It is. Um, so let's let's delve into that a little bit because I like and we both read Stuart Brown's book uh, play which is a, a great book but you know from your perspective as an educator how does how does humor really uh, or play actually help in the learning process what are the things that are that happen well as kids we have an innate ability to uh, play it seems if you look at the brain, play really generates neural connections. Uh, and it also promotes creativity, uh, critical thinking, and bonding among kids. So when we look at kids playing, we don't realize oftentimes how important that is. Play is the foundation for how we develop our sense of humor. Uh, I always love to talk about the expressions I see on parents' faces when they see their babies for the first time and they decide to, they want that child to learn how to smile and laugh. Mm -hmm. That is universal to all cultures, but the faces we make at babies are pretty funny. And the purpose is to really get those children to smile and to laugh. And so all parents do that. And our brains are really designed for play and laughter. When we try to uh, get rid of that with kids, we're really going against our natural um, inclination to learn through play. So um, the playfulness uh, that we have is critically important, I think, for memory and learning. And um, as you know, Chip, we've talked a lot about how the emotions contribute to our learning process. And so I think that's the critical piece that I'd really like to talk a little bit about today. Uh, for instance, Chip, when you were in school, this is an experiment that I often do um, with groups that I work with, is when you were in school, first, second, third grade, what is your very first memory? Uh, my very first memory of first grade was my first grade teacher bending over and me seeing her slip, and I thought, what the heck is that? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. So where do I go from there? <laughs> <laughs> no, but other what? things, uh, staying, being congruent with our conversation. I mean, from, you know, a play standpoint, I mean, some of the best times I remember were, you know, recess times. I don't remember a whole lot playing in class, but I remember, you know, having a really good time at recess, you know, and we learned a lot at recess because we had hung out with some of the, the nerdy kids who knew, you know, like we'd catch bugs and we'd do, you know, we just had a lot of fun at recess. That's what I remember. <laughs> so your memories are pretty much positive then, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. That's cool. When I do um, large groups, I ask people to really think back. And it's interesting that... Um, most people remember something that's associated with a strong memory. Oftentimes it's something that they were afraid of uh, or an experience in school that uh, made them angry or upset. Mm -hmm. uh, many times people will say that uh, they even had teachers that, you know, um, ridiculed them 
And that memory stays a very long time. So my own experience was, and you'll find this hard to believe, Chip, I got put into the coat closet for talking too much. <laughs> so, oh, the coat closet? Really? That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I sure know, I'm sure it wasn't for you, but in retrospect, I mean, I couldn't imagine that happening in today's world. I mean, you'd have, you know, the teachers would be fired, it'd be on headline news, you know, it, <laughs> I couldn't imagine <laughs> that happening in today's world, but uh, I, it's, it's a different world today, so. That's right. Well, we don't have coat closets too much anymore, neither. We have lockers, so. True. Uh, anyway, we... Um, and I say that it was it was really not my fault. It was the late girl ahead of me that was talking too much. But that's beside the point. My memory of second grade, actually, is um, how afraid and upset I was because I was put into the coat closet. And that is a very strong memory. I don't remember the teacher teaching me to spell, for instance, or teaching me math. But I do remember uh, that. That's the thing that sticks in my mind. So I often ask. Um, educators or people that um, have an impact on others is what are people going to remember about you and how you interacted with them in 20 to 30 years. So uh, it's interesting that in the audiences that I do work with that a majority of people have a strong, as I said, kind of negative memory. And we do know that emotions drive attention and attention drives learning. So that uh, one of the things that I'm advocating for is that people think about how to use humor and laughter to promote learning and especially how to use play. Uh, we learn through play and um, when we take play out of the environment, I believe that the chances for learning are greatly diminished. Um, what does so that look like? I think what does that look like for an educator when, you know, you're, because obviously, you know, things, you know, we, with the current state of education today and teacher is having to, you know, push to certain numbers and stuff. I'm sure that they're stressed out, you know, and they would like to think that, you know, they would love to have more humor in play, but they've got to get all this curriculum done. You know, what does that look for like for educators today? That's a really good question. And the interesting thing is I think most educators are already incorporating humor and play and laughter into their classrooms. It's just not something that um, is looked at. And you're absolutely right. Educators are extremely stressed today because of all of the requirements and the mandates that have been uh, given to them. And that was one reason that I started doing workshops on humor and play and laughter. Number one, to validate what people are doing in the field. Uh, because, again, most teachers are already incorporating these kinds of things whenever they can. But also to share ideas uh, on how to do that effectively, um, not only in the classroom, but in the workplace. Uh, so um, we know that most educators, when they see a child come to class um, that is homeless or a child who has been beaten, which happens more often than I'd like to think, or a child who comes who's upset just about something that happened on the bus, that teachers instinctively try to flip that child's state from one of anger and fear to one of optimism and joy and being, because that helps the child be open to learning. The same is true in the workplace. All of us have bad days. If we come to the workplace 
upset, we had a flat tire, or we lost our cell phone, or something happened to us with our families, and we come into the workplace, and we've had a really bad day. It helps if the environment is conducive to flipping our mood uh, to one of positivity. Um, and we can do that individually, actually, and I think that's the purpose of AETH often. I've learned a lot from the organization on purposefully taking something that's negative that's happened to you and flipping it to a more positive outlook. So teachers do this instinctively, I think. And so what I did was when I was doing workshops, I gathered all of the great ideas from the teachers, and there were many of them. Uh, over nine years, I did workshops in schools in Northern Illinois. And my first book is actually a compilation of the great ideas that teachers are already using in their classrooms um, to incorporate humor, laughter, and fun into the curriculum. Uh, because I think most teachers do realize that that is absolutely the best uh, way to learn. So what are some of the strategies that they, they shared with you? Oftentimes, uh, music and art and interactive play and games are very effective for helping children learn. Uh, working with kids with um, helping them to find their playfulness and mm -hmm. encouraging their creativity uh, are really important. Uh, in the writing process, for instance, giving kids um, funny or <clears throat> uh, silly prompts, for instance, uh, helps a lot in the in the learning process. So teachers find all kinds of creative and fun ways to incorporate uh, humor, juggling, dancing, magic tricks, um, and even incorporating technology with funny uh, videos that might um, help with the learning process. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite strategies, though, was from a seventh grade teacher of social studies who actually used humor in the assessment process. You don't think about tests being fun or humorous, but what he did was he gave each child a section of the um, book, the chapter, to analyze and read and study, and they, the kids needed to each create a joke, riddle, or pun in a question format for the test. So the entire test or assessment was riddles, jokes, and fun. So the kids really enjoyed taking that test, uh, which you often don't find at that level. <laughs> no. Well, and it made them part of the whole process, too, which, you know, from a leadership standpoint, yeah. any, anytime you want somebody to be committed to an end result, you make them part of the process of getting there. And so they're going to be a little more committed. So that's, that's kind of a cool strategy. I never really thought about that. As an educator myself, I really never thought about uh, putting them in charge to help um, use humor to, you know, retain the information in, in that in that way. That's pretty neat. I remember taking a test, I think I was in maybe in sixth grade, and I took the whole test, and the last question was, you know, because at the very beginning of the test, it was, says, you know, read all the directions, read the entire test before proceeding, but of course, I didn't. I just, I dove right in, answered all the questions, and then you get to the one was like, now go up and, you know, turn in the blank sheet of paper. You don't have to answer any of these, and it was like one of those things like, what? So then you... <laughs> <laughs> then I went back and I was I, I was erasing everything 
And it was just like the big joke the teacher had. It was hilarious. But what that caused me to do was that every test I've taken after that, I've read the entire thing to make sure it wasn't correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, was it? Some teachers actually put uh, questions like, who is your favorite teacher? Um, Chip Lutz, Mr. Lutz, um, you know, uh, and give them a multiple choice test of, you know, what, uh, who the favorite teacher is right in the middle of the test. So putting jokes or riddles into the middle of the test is also a strategy that a lot of teachers use. Well, I don't know if anybody's like me out there. I assume that some do, but for me as an educator, because I still adjunct for a couple colleges, I absolutely detest grading because it is so boring so boring because you're reading the same thing over and over and over again so i will tell my students straight out look if you don't know the answer at least make something up that's funny if you make me laugh i might give you a couple gratis points just because <laughs> that's you took actually a good strategy <laughs> just because you t you took the you took the mundaneness out of my chore because it is so, oh, i hated i hate still hate grading still hate grading <laughs> now so actually, no go ahead go ahead I was just going to say, uh, when you look at systems and you look at, uh, you know, the emotional impact of different systems, I really believe that grading is fear-based. And uh, one of the studies, that, uh, several studies that I've looked at have indicated that what we're doing in schools is teaching kids to learn for the test rather than learning for the sake of learning. So... We have many teachers right now in elementary and high school who are actually doing different systems for assessment other than grades. And report cards in some districts have actually changed to reflect that idea that um, children do their own assessment of themselves and set their goals for what they want to learn. And then their report is how they felt like they achieved that goal. So there's some new things going on in education that I think are pretty exciting and, and uh, take away that fear-based learning process that I think oftentimes grading involves. What's funny is when you were talking about learning for the test, you just completely explained my entire undergrad experience. I was just completely garbage in, garbage out. I would study for the test, and then afterwards, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the heck was on the test or what I learned. That was the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that our whole system is something that we could take a look at, uh, including uh, more joy in the learning process. Uh, and I'm not sure that too many people think test, taking tests and taking exams are joyful. So that's a good point, Chip. There's a lot of angst and fear and anxiety over tests. And you're right that I, with my own kids, they were always just studying away. Oh, I've got to get this grade here. And I just like, well, what are you learning? Well, I've got to get this grade here. And it just, I, I think that um, I don't want to say our whole educational system is is wrong, but I think that we do a few things wrong and bringing a little more joy back certainly will make um, would make school well more enjoyable, for lack of better words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the other thing is is that when children make choices of how they're going to learn, uh, it seems like the research shows that uh, that learning will stick. 
choices are extremely important and, and that gives children a joyful option. Um, the same is true in the workplace. We haven't talked much about the workplace, but oftentimes uh, there are workplaces that are more fear-based and authoritarian uh, rather than um, listening to what employees think would be the driving force in increasing productivity. We know that um, there's several examples of how uh, humor and laughter and fun and play especially can be integrated into the workplace to increase productivity and to especially um, provide a more um, pleasurable environment and culture for the workers. Uh, we know that when workers are happy in their environment that uh, retention is increased and workers um, are more productive. So lots of good examples of that as well and of course in AATH we find a lot of people that are actively doing that in the workplace which is always exciting and fun to um, look at and to talk to those folks about what they're doing to make a difference. I think you bring up a really good point on how humor and play can not only drive engagement but also I think it drives innovation in the workforce that when people are given the opportunity to not be in a silo but you know color outside the lines in today's competitive work environment you want people that are looking at things differently because if you're not looking at things differently certainly you're not going to stay competitive that's just a fact so um, it, now in your uh, book, uh, Using Humor to Maximize Living, you, you, you hit some of these facets on how people can do this for themselves and for the people in the workforce? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating is that the brain is a very um, interesting thing that we work with in the learning process and throughout life. And we're just I feel like we're pioneers in learning more about the brain and how humor impacts our um, aspect of living. Uh, so one of the things that I talk frequently about is how can you flip um, a bad day or something negative that happens to you into a more positive outlook or framework in life. Mm -hmm. So looking at the whole idea of humor and play and laughter as a tool for um, helping you cope with whatever life throws at you um, is one of the things that I think is an invaluable source uh, for me of um, just making my own personal life better. But also, I think we can use those kinds of tools to help in the workplace. Again, to create a culture where productivity increases and the culture is one where people really love to come and work and network with their colleagues and friends. So I think um, these kinds of emotional um, benefits of humor and laughter are something that we can purposefully put into both our personal life and professional life. Um, and I know you do that all the time, Chip. So uh, you are one of the people I think that is in the forefront of actually utilizing those tools on a regular basis. Uh, and I think that's one of the benefits of belonging to AETH and um, learning more about how to actually use the practice of humor for your benefit in both your personal and professional life. 
you know, I am going to find my high school guidance counselor and send her that quote you just said that I'm in the forefront because I'm pretty sure that she didn't think I was going to be in the forefront of anything when I was in high school. <laughs> you know, that, that I hear that from a lot of people that, uh, again, that's something that stuck with you because it was a more of a negative impact in school. And uh, so people carry those um, negative reactions through their whole life. And so again, uh, one of the things that I always encourage people who are working with other people uh, to do is to make sure that the emotions that the people that you are in contact with will end up being positive because it will be a powerful kind of a thing for people to remember you by. Um, just a quick example, uh, when you go into an office, for instance, a doctor's office, um, I had to go for a, a um, scan of my knee at one point, went into the doctor's office, and the woman who took my information never looked at me. She just was on her computer, said name, address, you know, telephone number, never looked up at me, never smiled. And the whole atmosphere in that office was pretty dead and not welcoming. And yet when I go to my dentist's office, it is so upbeat and so cheerful. I really don't like going to the dentist, but I love going to my dentist's office because I'm always greeted with a cheerfulness and warmth and people are laughing and having a good time. So it's such a difference. And you can actually tell an environment where um, humor and laughter and play are part of the environment. And that leads to a trust in the work environment. The higher the level of um, fun and play, the greater the trust in the work environment. And the opposite is true. Uh, the more authoritarian and the more rules, um, actually the less trust that there is in that work environment. So again, humor and play are tools to um, build productivity and incorporate a culture of joy uh, in the work environment. Joy at work. That's almost like an oxymoron. Hmm, work, opposite of play. <laughs> But I, th I think you bring up a good point uh, that I've just been doing some research on uh, humor and play and uh, customers and that uh, to me, the people that I like to do business with are the people that I consider friends that, you know, and it, even if I get a faulty product here and there, if I know that it's a good environment and a, you're going to take care of me because we've got a good relationship, I'm going to still go back to you, even though I had, you know, maybe one possible bad experience. And, and I certainly also agree with you that, you know, you can usually walk into a place and know what the atmosphere is like just by the people that you're encounter, encountering. It's almost, it's sometimes the atmosphere is so palpable. You could just, you, you walk in and just you feel like the energy completely drained from you as soon as you walk in, like you explained from when you walked into your doctor's office. Whereas with your dentist, and I personally hate going to the dentist as well. I actually had a dentist in the Navy. His name was William Hurt. Will Hurt. That, it, truthfully, that was... <laughs> And he was hilarious. I hate, I hated going to the dentist because I had, a, you know, when I was a kid, I had a bad experience going to the dentist and where they put a big rubber block in my mouth to keep me from biting. And I just have never liked going to the dentist, but I liked going to see Will Hurts because his name was hilarious and salty. 
<laughs> That's a great story. I love it. Well, I, I guess so. He, he, I, he must probably be, what's funny is that his dad was a dentist as well. And his name was Will Hurt too. I just thought that they kept the joke. I, they kept the joke going. I thought that was, that was great stuff right there. So what are some, for you, when you go out and you talk to people about, you know, uh, trying to increase your play, what are some, you know, some strategies that people can take right now is like, these are things that you can do to, you know, increase the amount of play and humor, thereby increasing the amount of joy in your workplace and or your life. I like the idea of keeping a humor laughter journal, uh, writing down what makes you laugh every day and trying to increase the laughter that you have. Uh, the other thing I really recommend is hanging around with people that you um, really enjoy and bring you laughter and get rid of what I call the humor doomers in your life. And those are the people that can suck the energy right out of you. You know, they, they're always in a bad mood or they're, you know, not happy. And so um, if you hang around with those kinds of people too many times, it, your whole um, uh, day can be kind of turned around. So um, I, I think that you can cope with anything that happens to you in life if you can really, in your own mind, start flipping it to how can I make this funny or what humor can I see in this? And then keeping track of, you know, what did make you laugh and, and uh, how you can increase more of that in your life. One of the things that I is, was really an aha for me is that whatever really bad things happened to me, when I figured out that I could laugh about it, I knew I was starting to heal. I knew that that humor was helping me process the grief or the anxiety or the bad experience that I had had. Um, because when you're able to laugh about something, um, you're actually starting to cope with it. And so even if it's, you know, the death of somebody who is close to you, uh, that's why a lot of times we have uh, laughter at funerals and I know you've done some work on that as well, Chip, but the whole idea that whatever happens to you in life, if you can actually start to find the humor in it or to laugh about it or with other people, that it really helps you heal. And I want to be very clear that the grieving process is different for everybody. And so it may not be that you can laugh right away about something really horrible that has happened, including cancer or death or some um, other tragedy, but um, hopefully you will eventually be able to um, find some humor in life, and uh, that's when you know you're starting to cope and being able to, to heal. I like that you you brought that out because a lot of times that particular situation isn't funny, but certainly we can go into our humor toolbox to find something that is funny and. We might not be laughing at that, situ uh, that situation, but it, it gives that, us that momentary respite that we might need just so we're not completely in the depths of despair during that tragedy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, so what, uh, what are the things that make you laugh? <laughs> well, besides you, Chip, and my good colleagues in ATA who are always keeping me laughing, um, my grandchildren do. I uh, think kids do bring a lot of laughter into our lives. And of course, my husband is a great punster and uh, comes up with 
something unexpected at times that just really made me laugh. So again, putting people in your life that bring you joy and, and laughter is, is really important. The other thing I do is I play every day. And um, so I get use a hula hoop. I um, actually like working on the pogo stick or jumping on the pogo stick. Um, I love to swing when the weather allows. I find that brings me great joy and laughter. Um, and I guess the other thing is I love trying to get other people to laugh, um, go to the grocery store, and or at least smile, uh, try to bring joy to other people. I don't think there's anything more powerful than um, trying to in succeeding in making someone else laugh or um, and I know you've experienced this too, Chip, when you do a presentation or um, are with a group of people um, when you can make other people laugh. And it's not always jokes. It's just something silly or crazy that you've said. Not that you'd ever say anything crazy, Chip, was, but uh, when you bring laughter to others, it also brings laughter to yourself. So um, through play and through engagement with other people, uh, I think um, those are the things that bring me laughter and joy every day. I'm always surprised uh, how many uh, laughs I get and smiles I get just by reading people's name tags, whether you're at the restaurants or like people forget that they're wearing them. So they'll come up and they're like, anything else? And be, oh, no, you know, thanks, Christy. We're good. And then look at like, do I know you? <laughs> and you just, you've read their name. That's <laughs> all you've done. But you've used your, their name and personalized their work in a way, but it makes them laugh. And they're like, it just always is funny to me how many people forget they're wearing name tags, but I, I do love having a good conversation, even at the checkout at the grocery store. Just the other day, I went, and the, the young man checking me out, he was like 20 years old. Uh, he wasn't old enough to scan my vodka. He had to call somebody else to scan it. And he was looking at the bottle. He's like, potato vodka? What is that? I said, well, you know, I, so I gave him a tutorial. I gave him an overall tutorial on vodka. And he was just laughing because I made it kind of funny. And he just thought it was hilarious because he wasn't old enough to buy alcohol anyhow. But I told him, I said, at the end, I said, so next year when you turn 21, you've got the, you've got the, you've got the information you need now in order to uh, do it right. And he, he, he was just laughing. But it was just fun for me because I just like to, personalize people's work and bring a little joy whenever I can. It's yep. I know you do that and you do it so well, Chip. So, um, it's been, I tell you, um, I can't say enough about AATH and about the humor Academy and, well, let's, um, let's, let's talk about the humor Academy and let me preface this right here for those of you who aren't in the association that it was, gosh, we were sitting in a meeting in Las Vegas and this is probably 2007. And we talked a little bit about, you know, as an association, having some kind of certification process in humor. And Mary, Mary Kay and I talked about it a little bit, and then Mary Kay took the, took the ball and ran with it and developed an awesome program you know, for AATH called the Humor Academy, where you can actually get certified as a, a certified humor professional. And it's got a course of study. It's validated. You can get graduate credit for it. So, you know, tell us a little about that program, because I think it's pretty freaking awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> the, the awesome part about it is the amazing people that are in the program, including you, Chip. Um, but it is a three-year program. The first year is the theory of humor. Uh, and the second year is 
the application process and leadership. So levels two and three are how do you apply what you've learned in the theory of humor. So it is a three-year program. We do give graduate college credit. And at the end of three years, you have achieved the certified humor professional. There are guidelines that are on our website on the requirements and uh, the process. We have amazing uh, directors of the program and advisors who work with us step-by-step step in the process. The most exciting part of it, though, is the ability to work with other people in a wide variety of fields who are also purposefully using humor practice in their um, lives, in both their personal life and their professional life. And so we just meet amazing people from all over the world. We've had students from Japan, Nigeria, Finland, uh, Norway, um, Venezuela, uh, Russia, a wide variety of people who are all interested in humor studies. And um, what the people bring to the program is what I treasure the most because it's a program that's not like others in that we actually seek and encourage people to bring their knowledge of humor to the table and share it with others. So. It's a fairly unique program and uh, it's really been quite successful. We've had over 35 people actually complete the three-year program and are now certified humor professionals. And if anybody's interested, they can sure go to our website and um, uh, check out the information. 35 people out of a few billion on the earth, that's a pretty elite group. <laughs> it is. And uh, I think it's growing, though, rapidly. So that's the good news. Uh, we are pioneers, as you know, Chip, in the humor business. And uh, the research is just now emerging. Uh, AATH is based on research. And we are very careful to be sure that uh, we share research that's um, authentic um, and it is emerging. Not a lot of research has been done, actually, that's, and we just look for research that's been validated. So uh, that's an important part of uh, our organization as well. Yeah, I remember when I was working on my, my uh, master's thesis, and it was on humor and education, how little there was out there that was uh, public, uh, you know, scholarly, you know, published, you know, uh, work that I could cite, you know, within and we've come a long way I think in the last 20 years in in being able to, to validate and um, put scholarly work out there on the applications of humor in all aspects of life not just in education but all aspects of life and, you know the physiological the psychological you know all the different things that you know happen when you know we we apply humor and play to our everyday lives it's absolutely so many things that we know that we need you know, we know that we need to have a sense of humor about things, but sometimes it becomes very elusive when things are, are crappy in our lives. And all we have to do is really just kind of reach out and tap into, like you said at the very beginning, our inner child and retrieve that, that play, that playfulness that, you know, we once had. That's absolutely true. And we do have a lot of resources uh, on our website. There is a resource section. Uh, many of our AATH members are authors. And so uh, a lot of their published work and the research is actually on our website. So if anybody's interested in reviewing the research or is involved in doing a research paper or project, uh, we encourage you to take a look at our website and uh, resources there are free. 
There's actually PowerPoints that have been done by the Nielsen's from Arizona State University that are also free access. So there's over 40 PowerPoints on a variety of topics that are free for people to use. And that website is aath.org. I'll make sure I just throw That's that great. out there. Just throw that out there. It's at the end of the podcast as well, but eh, I throw it out there, a little plug for the association. So if after today people want to find you and find out more on your work, where do they go? What's your website? My website is HumorQuest, H-U-M-O-R-Q-U-E-S-T. And that's, if they pull that up, uh, they'll find me. Um, so love to talk to people. They can also uh, look on Amazon for my books. And I would love to um, connect with anybody on Facebook. I'm on social media and Twitter. So um, just my name on Twitter, Mary Kay Morrison. And on Facebook, I have a Humor Quest page. Love to connect with anybody who's interested. And I would highly recommend checking Mary Kay out if you're looking at having a, uh, an in-service for your teachers or you know, somebody come in and talk about a, uh, a more joyful workplace. You know, have her in. She, has, she brings the goods. You know, some people are fluff on when they come in and talk about stuff. She brings the actual like, real goods on. These are the things that you can do to make a positive change for yourself and other people around you. You know, using humor and play. Well, I want to thank you, my friend, for spending a little time with me today, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to uh, enjoy uh, listening to the strategies you gave. Um, I want to wish you the best of days. Thank you so much, Chip. This has been pure play and joy. Thank you for having me. Well, the pleasure was all mine. And for those of you listening, this has uh, been Laughbox. I'm Chip Lutz, Unconventional Leader. You can find more information on AATH at ath.org. Check us out. Come to the conference. You'll meet, be able to meet cool people like Mary Kay and um, other people we've been interviewing. You get to meet me too, but I'm not as cool as they are. So it's been Laughbox. Thanks. This is Laughbox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review Laughbox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.